I don't know if you can identify with this. I would assume most of us can, but there are moments in our lives where our souls soar. There are moments in life, maybe because of circumstances, maybe because, I don't know, maybe because there's a sense of the nearness of God to us, that our soul just soars. We open His Word, we go to Him in prayer, and it's it's like He's right there. It, it's it's so rich and it's so sweet. There There's moments when we open our mouths to sing to God, and it, it, immediately our eyes lift up to the heavens, and if you're a little crazy, maybe your hands go up too. I mean, we don't want to get carried away, but maybe your hands go up too, and you find maybe your feet start to shuffle, and this emotion erupts in your heart, and it's almost like if your soul could escape your body, it would just burst free in that moment, take wings and ascend to God. There are those moments, and there are, there are psalms like that, like Psalm 18. We find that kind of notion in David. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. I cried to Him. He heard my prayer and He delivered me. And His soul soars. That's not Psalm 25. It's not Psalm 25. Psalm 25 is a psalm of waiting. Waiting. You know, there, there are those times when the soul in and of itself seems to soar. And then there are those moments where we find ourselves, where I think we find David in this psalm, in verse 1. And what does David say? To you, O Lord... I lift up my soul. My soul's not soaring. In fact, what I'm finding I have to do is grab hold of my soul and push it up towards you. Well, let's read the psalm together and see what treasures are there for us. Psalm 25 of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are, wanton, who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your for the sake of your goodness. O Lord, good and right is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my troubles and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. 
Oh, regard my, oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Well, it's an interesting psalm, this psalm of David. We don't really know the context. We don't, we don't know. I mean, obviously we've got enemies here. We've got struggles here going on and we really have no context to help us to know who these enemies were, what struggles David is referring to. Uh, we don't even really know at what point in David's life he wrote this psalm. We just know that it's a psalm of David. I could also tell you that it's written as an acrostic, um, not a perfect acrostic. Uh, it's missing a few letters from the Hebrew alphabet. Some speculate that that's intentional, that there's an artsy little flair there to that. That the intention is because this is a psalm of waiting and all is not complete, that it wouldn't make sense to write it as a complete acrostic with every letter being there and and so on. I don't know. Um I don't know that all of that, that the, at least the, the context, is necessarily the importance of the psalm. In fact, I think in, in missing some of the context, it allows us to draw into these emotions and the wrestlings that David has. Really, the question that I think the psalm poses, and as I wrestled with this psalm and read through it and prayed through it over and over again, is just simply this question of what do we do while we wait? Just by show of hands, who likes waiting? Just out of curiosity. Any big fans of waiting? I wait as much as possible. Yeah, waiting's not number one on our list of things to do. We don't like to wait. We try and do a lot of things to avoid waiting. We reschedule things and shift things around and all kinds of stuff to avoid waiting. But the reality of the matter is that every single one of us this evening is waiting. Right? I mean, is there anyone here tonight who could say, I have absolutely everything that I'm asked the Lord for? Every person that I've, that I desire to see come to faith in Christ, every family member, they're already saved. I'm not waiting on that. My children, nope, they're, they're perfectly mature. In fact, like I'm not working on anything with my children. They're just perfect just the way they are. I'm not waiting on anything. To develop in my child. In fact, even in my own life, I mean, I, I used to be kind of flawed, but really, pretty much today, not really waiting on anything. We're all waiting. We're all waiting, and some of those moments of waiting are hard, difficult, painful to wait, to sit and wait. In the book of Romans 8, a passage we know well, Romans 8. Starting with verse 22, the scripture tells us that we all wait. Paul says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we what? Wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. If you are a child of God, you are waiting. We're waiting. So we can identify with David in this psalm 
of waiting. So the question is very relevant to our lives and appropriate for us. What do we do while we wait? And, and of course, we can't go through all of the depths and beauty of this psalm, but I just want to point out a few things that I think David clearly does in the midst of this struggle and in the midst of his waiting. What does David do in his waiting? The first thing that jumps out at us right at the beginning that David does in his waiting is he, he, he trusts and places his hope in God. He trusts and places his hope in God. Verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, I've read this psalm, I don't know how many times. I've prayed through this psalm. And so many of those times that I've gone to pray through this psalm and read through it, I get hung up on just that one verse. To you, O Lord. It's very emphatic. We use the same thing in language nowadays. You look at someone, you say, hey, you, and then we say their name. We want to make sure they know it's them. In David here, this is the stress. The stress is, is, is God. It's the focus. It's the direction of where he's lifting up his soul. To you, O Lord, to you, Yahweh, to you, I do what? I lift up my soul, the core of who I am, the center of my thoughts, desires, longings, the core of who I am. I take the core of who I am in the midst of this and I lift it up to you. Then in verse 2 he starts and there's a shift. Oh my God. That's beautiful. It's covenant language here. Right? What did God say was he made his enters into covenant with Israel. That he would be their God and they would be his people. It's totally different when you change that preposition. If you say a God and just leave it an article, an indefinite article, well that doesn't say a whole lot. The God, well now we're saying a little more. But if you say my God, that's, that's different. I mean I could point and say there's a woman and there's another woman. But if my wife's sitting there and I say that's my woman over there, now I've got problems. That changes everything. David says, my God, I trust in you. I trust in you. When we're forced to wait for those of us who are children of God, it always challenges our hope and trust in him. When you and I are forced to wait, because we confess that there's a sovereign God who rules over all things, it is a challenge to our trust in him. That's my option. My option is, is that I cry out to God and I trust in him. I lift my soul up to him and I say, I trust you in that you're making me wait. Or what do I do? Complain, get angry, essentially say, God, if you would give me the controls of my life, I could do a better job. You know, waiting is a lot easier when I trust the person I'm waiting on. Have you ever noticed that? Like if I'm in relationship with the person that I'm waiting on, maybe I've gone to a doctor for a long time and I have a relationship with them and I, I know their character and I go for my next appointment and it's five minutes past my appointment time and ten minutes past my appointment time. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I notice that it's happening, but I'm kind of at ease. I trust they're back there working hard and that they're not just sipping on a soda and eating crackers and cracking jokes or something like that. But when I don't know the person, or certainly if the person in the past has shown that they're irresponsible, and they're making me wait, well, now we're just entering the realm of sheer madness. 
Now I'm really frustrated. Now I'm going, what is going on? Now I'm talking to the poor lady behind the glass thing. I don't know why they put those ladies behind glass. Maybe they're dangerous. But they're behind the glass thing. I'm yelling at her. I'm going, my appointment time. Waiting challenges our trust in God. It challenges our trust in God. God is in control. And he said, wait. And so David's response, first of all, is to look to the Lord and say, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And you know what that does? There's such an encouragement in that because hearing David say those words in this context and the battle that he's going up through in this psalm encourages me in my soul and the things that I'm waiting for. It helps me, it encourages me to hear David say, To you, O Lord, I lift up the core, all that I am, God. I give it to you. I don't have all the answers. I don't know when this is going to come to pass. But I trust you, God. Here's my soul. That, that encourages me. That strengthens me. You know, I almost wonder, I just wonder if we could encourage each other like that this evening can we encourage each other in that way this evening and i know we already prayed but maybe we could just pray together again and if you can i don't want to put anybody on the spot but if you're there would you just make that simple declaration to the lord to you O lord i lift up my soul I'm not going to give an order or anything because I don't want to put people on the spot and everybody know who didn't say anything and make everybody feel awkward. But can you can we make that declaration this evening? Whether you choose to pray it out loud, I, I think that would be great. Or whether you choose to pray it in your heart before the Lord, would, would you do that? I'm not going to leave a lot of time because i got a lot more to say because we're only on verse 2, in case you haven't noticed. But could we just do that? Let, let's, let's, let's pray that together. Amen. So first thing we do as we wait, we trust in the Lord. That trust leads David to another aspect of waiting and, and trusting in, in, in the Lord. And that is to seek the Lord's guidance. Not to seek the immediate answer. And, and, and this has been such a challenge in my life. because and, and I think it can be a challenge 
particularly for Americans, because we get so consumed with end results. We, we are in love with efficiency, and so to be efficient means that things need to happen in a timely manner, and we get so consumed with getting to the end result that it will almost, it will almost go jump to whatever process is necessary to get there. And God is equally concerned about the process as he is with the end result. And so here David doesn't, he's not praying. I don't think he's praying, God, give me the answers to how you're going to resolve this. But instead, look at what he begins to pray in verse 4. He says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Make me to know, passive God, teach this to me. Make me to know your ways, then he says, teach me your paths. That word there, teach me, is, uh, is also used of an animal. That you teach an animal, you train an animal. It's also used of soldiers, that you train soldiers. This isn't a hypothetical teaching. He's not saying, God impart to me the academic knowledge. Send me a book on trusting you. No, you don't, you don't write a book for your dog to teach him to sit. You don't draw a diagram for your dog to sit. You don't do that with an animal. It doesn't make any sense. What do you do? You Whatever. Maybe you smack him on the rump. You say, sit. Sit down. Sit. You, you do it. It's the same with your child. You don't take a two-year-old and draw a diagram and give them a book and try and teach them how to use a fork or a spoon. You put it in their hand. And then you sit there and you look like a moron going, ah, ah. Right? You show them because you want them to do. David's not praying, God, I want just some academic knowledge. He's saying, Lord, I want to know your ways. I want to experience them. He goes on and he says, lead me in your truth. March me. Drill me. Walk me. I want to know your ways and I want to live in them. Teach me, for you're the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Lord, I want to know your ways. I know I might not be able to know when you're going to resolve this situation and how all this is going to work out, but what I, what I want to know is how to live well now. Show me, God, how to live well in the process while I'm waiting. Teach me, Lord, how to have joy in the process. Man, is that not hard? I can have great joy in the result. I can have great joy when I finally get what I'm asking for. That doesn't take much work. But joy in the process? Joy in the waiting? That's a challenge to my heart. God, teach me your ways. Make a path, Lord, a path that's so clear. I know where to walk. I want to walk in your ways. I love that image of a soldier. Man, if you're sending me into battle, don't give me a diagram of how to fight someone. Don't give me a manual on how to shoot a gun. Put a gun in my hand and teach me how to shoot it. I don't want a hypothetical knowledge of God and His ways. I want a real knowledge that comes out in my life. And when I'm wrestling in these moments and I'm waiting and I don't understand what's going on, I want to live this truth out. I don't just want to know something in my head. I want it to come out in my life. And so David pleads with God, Lord, teach me your ways. Why can he plead this? He can plead this because God is good. Verse 8, he says this, so good. Good and upright is the Lord. 
verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Those are such simple words, but that is so profound. It's so profound. David can trust God and he can ask God to teach him his ways because he's convinced that God is good. He's good. There's nothing that's not good about God. He is good. We can't, we can't comprehend that because everything that we know has something that's not good in it. But God is all good all the time in every way. He's absolutely beautiful, gorgeous, magnificent in all that he is. And so David can say, God, I lift up my soul to you. I trust you. Teach me your ways. While I wait, I don't have what I want. I don't even have what I think I deserve. But teach me your ways and I'll walk in them because you're good and you're right. You're right. Man, that's hard. That's easy to say on Sunday morning, right? Somebody says, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It's easy to say on Sunday morning, but Monday when I'm waiting, when I meet up with that relative who I've been working with and wrestling with and fighting with, and they're still doing the same thing, and I've been praying for them, and nothing is changing. And instead of waiting upon the Lord, I get angry, and I give them a piece of my mind. And I don't wait. I don't say, God, teach me again what to do today. Help me, God, to know. Deep. He go on to say, I love this, verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. All the paths, did you hear that? Did you just let that sink in for a minute? All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. I don't know if you've been there. In that moment where you feel that God has called you somewhere, you're walking through something and you can't see how this thing is going to work out. All you're left with is to rest upon the fact that God is good and upright and He would not, as your loving Heavenly Father, lead you somewhere you ought not be. He wouldn't put you in a place that you shouldn't be. There have been moments in our walk in in struggles and in, in, in our journey in missions, cross-cultural missions. And there are moments still to this day, moments while we're there in Senegal where I'm just there and I'm going, God, is this right? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Because I look around and it just, I don't understand what's going on. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I, sometimes I'm just totally afraid that I'm going to screw everything up. I'm going to make one wrong step. I'm going to do one wrong thing. Sometimes when he, even when I read missionary literature and there's this method to missions and there's this method to missions and I go, am I going to screw it all up? Am I going to end up making these people in Senegal worse than when I showed up in the first place? And I become terrified. And I come back to this, that if I'm putting my trust in God, putting my trust in Him, Lord, to You I lift up my soul, my God, I trust in You, and I'm Asking him, teach me your ways, lead me in your truth, I want to obey you. I have to believe that all of the paths the Lord leads me on are steadfast love and faithfulness. That is a phenomenal assurance. 
when you're in this place where David is and things don't make sense, the enemies aren't disappearing, you haven't provoked their attacks, the guilt is piling up in your soul and you're not certain where to go and you're reminded of this truth, God is good and as long as I am committed to Him and I'm walking in faithful obedience, He will not lead me astray. He won't lead me astray. He's not going to leave me. I'm not going to get to the end of my life if I've walked in faithful obedience and go, oh, crud. I just screwed the whole thing up. It's not going to happen. That's, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Such great assurance that we have. So we, 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 we put our trust in the Lord. We seek the Lord's guidance. And as we seek the Lord's guidance, and this is intermingled throughout this psalm, we find David confessing his sin. Inevitably, as we endure the trials of waiting, it it, it brings out things as we pray these types of prayers in our life. Lord, to you I lift up my soul. I trust in you. Teach me your ways. What happens? Well, what happens is God answers. And then, areas in my heart are exposed. Now, I don't know, like I said, I don't, we don't know the situation of David here, but this, I've had this happen in my life. Okay, David's being attacked by enemies, and what's, what's he, what's happening at the same time? What do you want to do when the enemies are attacking? Boy, you want to, you want to load up the ammo and just talk about how wicked and horrible they are. Right? Oh, you're ready for that. Then you start praying and trusting God and saying, guide me, lead me. And what happens? I get shot. Wait a second. Hold on. God begins to convict me of my sin. Areas where I'm wrong, the guilt in my own life. And David here, as he does over and over again in the Psalms and particularly the Psalms, of repentance and his sin with Bathsheba, he pleads God's goodness as the basis for his repentance. He pleads God's goodness as the basis for his repentance. Verse 11, for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Before that, he makes mention of... um, Verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth and and my transgressions, Verse 6, he says, remember your mercies, O Lord, and your steadfast love. Really, the idea there could be remember your acts of mercy because there are many, in, O Lord, and your acts of steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember those and don't remember the sins of my youth and my transgressions. So David confesses his sin. I, I think, at least I find in my life, as I walk with the Lord, if I am walking in faithful obedience to Him, then my walk is a walk of constant confession. It's a walk of constant confession. I, in fact, I think, and I, I'm not going to pound the pulpit on this one, but I think if I'm saying I'm growing in my knowledge of God and I'm not also equally confessing, seeing that as a regular habit of my life, then what I'm gaining is probably just head knowledge. But if I'm really growing closer to the Lord, then there is going to be a, consist, a consistent, steady flow of confession coming from my mouth that erupts from my heart. Because I'm walking with a God who is all good and all right. And the closer I walk with Him, the more the sins of my heart are exposed. 
And of course, the more I love him and the more I want to walk closely with him. And so instead of cherishing those sins, I offer them up and I say, God, I confess. I offer this up to you. Verse 12, he poses a question that's much like the question that we saw in Psalm 24. Who is the man who fears the Lord, right? The question in Psalm 24 was who can ascend the hill of the Lord, right? Here the question is, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. I think the attitude of David in this psalm is a great example of someone who fears the Lord. David's not going to God saying, God, give me what I want. Tell me what I want to know. Instead, he's saying, I'm, I'm content to wait. I'm trusting in you. Teach me your ways. I'm confessing my sin before you. It's that person of humility that David talks about in verses 8 and 9. That man of humility. Then he says in verse 13, his soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. We, we are not covenant Israel. So God has not given us land that we will pass down to our children. But I think there is still a great principle here in promise. I'm only 36 years old, so I've got a long time before I'm getting to those latter years of life. At least I hope. I don't know. You know, we never know. Um, but at this stage in my life, I am seeing people that I've known for a long time get to that point. And so one thing that I'm witnessing is the tremendous blessing of a godly life. There is no greater blessing that you can give to your family and to your friends than a godly life. That comes out not in the moments when everything is going right, but comes out in the moments when things aren't going right, when you're being forced to wait and you don't have all of the answers. I'm greatly encouraged by the men and women that I see walking faithfully with the Lord. I'm equally horrified, unfortunately, at particular individuals that I see and at the end of their life, they're just, not only they, but their families are suffering the consequences of their lack of faithfulness. So when we get down all the way to the end of this psalm, what do we find? And in, in, right before he turns, and this becomes more of a corporate psalm for Israel, we find this again. For you, for I wait for you. Verse 21, for I wait for you. What do you do while you're waiting? What are you waiting for? What's not happened in your life? What are you praying about? What's the unresolved situation? Who's the family member, the neighbor? What's that thing, that sin you're wrestling with in your life that you battle constantly? What is it that you're waiting for? Better yet, how how are you waiting? Trusting the Lord? Pleading with Him to teach you His ways? Confessing as you walk in those ways? Are you seeing by God's grace your life be conformed to Him and giving to your family, your friends, the greatest gift you could possibly give them? A life of godliness and faithful submission to the Lord. Well, there's a lot more we could say about this psalm, but um, we'll, we'll leave it there for, for now. Um, 
Well, let me just make this last fall. Let me make this point clear. This waiting is not, is not a waiting in resignation. It's a waiting in hope. David is waiting in hope. He's waiting in confidence in God. Something is going to change. It might not change here. And, and we see that right away at the beginning of the psalm. We didn't, we didn't point it out. But he says in verse 3, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. The certainty is there. It may not happen even in this lifetime. And if that's what God ordains, so be it. But this is not a, a waiting of resignation. This is not a, shall I say, an, even an Islamic waiting of inshallah, this fatalistic kind of thing. I can control nothing, so I throw my hands up. No, that's not it. This is a waiting in great expectation. A waiting where we trust in God and we plead with Him to teach us His ways. Well... I think that leads us into plenty we can pray about. I don't know about you, but as I've worked through this psalm and I've thought about things in my life, there are plenty of things that I'm waiting on. Things the Lord hasn't resolved yet. Things that I can't see yet. Maybe we could just take time now and turn to the Lord in prayer. We've got about eight minutes or so left. And just cry out to the Lord about these things that you're waiting for. Reaffirm your trust in Him. Ask Him to teach us His ways to give us joy in the process, contentment to be here waiting on Him, knowing that all of His paths are faithful, loving kindness.